0: We'll go ahead and uh, grab a Bible, turn, uh, turn to Mark chapter six. We, we're continuing today in a series that we've been in for several months called The Lion Roars. And last uh, couple of Sundays ago, you remember we, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, and I, I shared with you that that is one of the most, it's probably the most important miracle that Jesus did outside of the resurrection, because it is the one miracle uh, along with the resurrection that's mentioned in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so today we're going to look at a, a, another famous miracle, and that is the miracle of, of Jesus walking on the water. And this miracle is uh, told in three out of the four Gospels, and it's placed right on the heels of the feeding of the 5,000. And so it's clear that these these two miracles go together, and I'll explain why they go together in, in just... A moment. Now, um, over the past hundred years, there, there have been so many liberal Bible commentators and Bible scholars uh, that have attempted to explain away all of the miracles that, that Jesus did. So their starting assumption is that miracles cannot happen in a naturalistic world. So that's the starting place where where most liberal commentators and scholars really begin, and so obviously Jesus walking on the water is a prime target for uh, for their theories and their considerations. So let me let me give you a couple of theories on Jesus walking on the water. The most prominent theory from liberal Bible commentators um, is the fact that. Um, that they really believe that disciples just imagined Jesus walking on the water when he was actually walking on the shore. So it was early in the morning, in the wee hours in the morning, it was dark, the disciples were tired. They only imagined that Jesus was walking on the water when he was actually walking on the shores. And, uh, and so, now, if that were true, then that would mean that Jesus would have had to have been an Olympic long jumper because Mark tells us that he was— he had gotten into the boat with the disciples, and so obviously there's some there's some serious problems with that theory. Another theory that I want to share with you, and I, I wish I was making this up, but I, but I'm not. Uh, this was found. This theory is found in the in the journal of paleolimnology. Now, I had no idea what paleolimnology was. It's the study of lakes. Uh, but this was this was a theory presented in a in a, in the journal of paleolimnology by a guy named Dr. Doran Knopf. and his theory, what he says, Jesus didn't walk on water, Jesus was actually surfing on a patch of ice. So he described certain atmospheric conditions that came together uh, just in a, you know, kind of an odd combination of conditions that came together that can cause rare patches of ice in the Sea of Galilee. And he calculated that this happens once every, you know, thousand years or so and so the thought is is that Jesus was surfing on a patch of ice and that's what the disciples really noticed now um, I share this picture with you because uh, I just kind of give you a visual of this and uh, kind of let you know how absurd that would really really be I mean it that would require supernatural balance there and obviously it would require supernatural timing as it only happens once every thousand years and so I think these theories kind of reveal to us that the human heart the unbelieving sinful heart will come up with any explanation imaginable to rationalize their lack of faith and I think that's exactly what happens and so as a result we miss we miss the miracle of Jesus uh, because of our unbelief now I would say that as Christians the problem with the miracles of Jesus for us as believers is that we really tend to focus exclusively on the miracle itself So, so what happens is we fail to really get behind the miracles of Jesus and ask the question, why did Jesus do the miracle? Like, what was his reason behind it? What was his purpose for doing the miracle? So when you, so when you see Jesus casting out demons or healing the sick or feeding, you know, the thousands like we saw a couple of weeks ago, or even walking on the water, I think we have to ask the question, what's the purpose behind this? Jesus didn't do miracles just to Flex his divine muscles. He's not trying to show off. He, he has a purpose and a reason for everything that he did. And I want to I talk about uh, those reasons today, especially in light of this miracle. This is an amazing miracle and uh, it is full of significance and relevance for us today. So, so let's take out our Bibles. Let's read Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. And if you're willing and able, would you please stand together out of reverence for the word of God revealed and given to us? Uh, as a gift from our Heavenly Father. So notice what Mark records. He says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up onto the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making, they were making headway painfully. For the, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and he cried out, and, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid." And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded for they didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God, it lasts forever. You may be, you may be seated. So why did Jesus do this miracle? Why, why did he walk on the water? What, what was the purpose really behind this? I, I, I think. The quick answer is he wanted to reveal his glory and his power to the disciples but more specifically i want to i want to share with you three reasons right from the text that i think jesus takes this uh magnificent step i I think jesus walking on the water reveals his divinity i I think his walking on the water reveals his proximity to us And, and then and then lastly it reveals his mercy to us. So let me, let let me show you these beginning with number one, Jesus divinity. So, so what Jesus really wants to do is reveal to the disciples his person, who he is, that he is God incarnate, that he is, that he is God in the flesh. He wanted to show the disciples something that they were not comprehending and that they were not understanding. Let me, let me show it to you in verse 45, and, and we'll kind of just walk through this passage. And so notice how Mark describes this. He says, immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to, to Bethsaida. Now, I want you to notice that there's a sense of urgency in, in this description here. There's a sense of urgency. So Jesus, Mark tells us, Jesus immediately, basically, made the disciples— In Greek, that word is forcefully compelled them, kind of grabbed them by the arm, if you will, and said, get in the boat, head over to Bethsaida, I want you to go right now. And then they're on their way, and then he begins dismissing the crowd. Now the question then becomes, well, why the urgency? Well, Mark really doesn't tell us why the urgency. We don't have any hint of that from Mark's description, but we have a significant hint From John's description, let me just show you a clip from his description of this, John 6, 14 and 15. Notice this, when the people saw the sign that he had done, and that was the multiplying the loaves and fish in enough to feed over 20,000 people, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the one we've been waiting for. He is sent from God. He is here. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself so I want you to notice that Jesus understands there was a messianic fervor developing within the crowd but it wasn't the messianic fervor that would bring righteousness it was the messianic fervor that would bring political change so the crowd is blown away at the power of Jesus to, to feed over 20,000 people, they put two and two together and realize this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one who will save us from the Romans. And not only can he save us and give us our freedom from the Romans, but he can feed us. So he is solving all of our problems. We need to take him and forcefully bring a revolution and make him king right now and Jesus will have none of it and that's at the heart of why he is getting the disciples away from this he doesn't want the disciples to get caught up in this kind of uh, messianic excitement they don't even understand things as it is so he's really trying to protect them from this and uh, he doesn't want this revolutionary contagion to spread And, and so he dismisses the disciples and notice After he dismisses the crowd, verse 46, what he does. Mark tells us this. After he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. Now, why did he take this step? He's not with the disciples. They've they've gone on ahead of him. But he goes off up into the mountains to pray by himself. Three different times, Mark tells us that Jesus does this. And this is one of those instances. In all three of those instances where Jesus, you know, goes by Himself to pray, each time it comes on the heels of the disciples being confused about who He is. They're just not getting it. Each time that He goes by Himself to pray, it's, it's at night and it's, it's separated from the disciples. So He's not with them. And then each time, that Jesus does this, he has faced some kind of crisis. And this is certainly one of those times. There is a crisis, almost a political fervor being developed here among the crowd of 20 plus thousand people. You can imagine uh, this thing was spreading like wildfire on on social media that day. But he goes off by himself to pray. Why? Well, I would submit to you church that the reason why he goes off to pray is he is reaffirming his commitment to the Father to do his Father's will. I, I, think, I think we fail sometimes as, to understand as we're reading through the Gospels how much Satan was tempting Jesus, how much he was whispering in his ear continually, you don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to die. There's an easier way. All you have to do is assert your power, take control of the world, whole world will worship you. That's all you need to do. And I, I believe that Jesus was constantly hearing that whisper uh, in his ear from the, from the father of all lies, Satan, and what Jesus is doing is he is withdrawing to basically come back and surrender his will to the father's, uh, to the father's will for his life. He does this over and over and over again I think there are huge implications for you and for me with this let me let me just share a couple I I think I I think the first one is this it's it's the most obvious one and it's it's really this that Jesus understands our temptations like he he understands our struggles with temptations He, he really does you know the scripture says he was tempted in every way every way that we're tempted And yet he was without sin. So he understands our weaknesses, he understands our frailties, he understands our struggles, he he understands our temptations, and look how he is dealing with those temptations. He is retreating to his heavenly Father. I think the other implication is this, that the Christian life really requires a continual surrender to the Father's will. You know, I came out of a a church tradition that kind of emphasized that, you know, all you had to do is surrender one time to God's will for your life and then, then you, you know, you were good. And, and as I've grown throughout the years in my faith, I've realized that that's a daily thing. It's a daily surrender, church. It's a daily resurrender. Many times it's multiple times a day surrender. And, and so there are going to be times when we're going to come under attack. There are going to be times when we're tempted. There are going to be times when we're struggling. And what do we need to do? We need to go back and get on your, our knees. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing is he is reaffirming, I'm not a, I'm not a revolutionary. I'm not a, I'm not a political king. I'm not here to kick the Romans out. I'm here to seek and to save the lost. And I think that's that's a picture that, that we have what's going on uh, in the Gospel of Mark. So now what, what's happening with the disciples? Well, they're out in the middle of the boat, in, in the middle of the lake in, in, in a boat. And so the, so the Sea of Galilee is, is four miles wide, and it would normally take you, under, under just regular conditions, it would normally take you about four hours to row across uh, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, so the disciples are doing this, a storm has cropped up on them, and uh, the winds are very strong, they're going right into the wind. This is probably going to take them six to eight hours to get across all night long. And so they are struggling and you see this in verse 48, how Mark describes this and he saw, Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully and uh, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, uh, it tells us that he came to them. So, so it tells us that this, this storm, these winds were really blowing really uh, very strong, they were making headway painfully. This was labor, this was difficult. They were probably all taking turns rowing. And so this this external storm is really a picture of the internal storm that was going on within them. Because you see, they're still struggling this far into the Gospel of Mark, this far along with Jesus, they're still struggling with who he is. They still can't totally grasp who he is and what he came to do it's just not registering so so they're facing a storm on the outside but they're also facing a storm deep within them as they're struggling to try to figure out who is Jesus what what are we to to even do with them in fact look at verse 52 Mark tells us for they for they didn't understand about the loaves so they didn't even really grasp you know, the reality of the miracle of the feeding of the thousands, so they were really struggling with that and, uh, and so they didn't understand it. So, so what does, so what does Jesus do in the storm? What does he do? What does he do when they're facing an external storm and an internal storm and they don't understand about the lows, what does he do? He reveals himself in all of his glory and all of his power by walking. On the water. Now we need to just kind of stop there and, and kind of ask, well, what is it that Jesus? Well, what is it that the disciples didn't understand about Jesus and the feeding of the thousands? I, I think it's pretty simple. I think they, I think they knew that Jesus, you know, had the power to take the loaves and uh, and the fish to feed twenty thousand plus people. But what they didn't understand is that Jesus was the bread of life and that He would be broken to not only feed us but to satisfy us. See I think they understand that Jesus had power, but they didn't understand that Jesus was power. I I think they understood that Jesus was from God, but what they failed to grasp is that Jesus was God. That's what that's not registering for them and so they're they're failing to understand they're not really grasping who he is and it's interesting to me church because they have spent all of this time with Jesus they, they've been around him continually they've heard all of his teaching and preaching they've had access to him to ask him any question any clarification that they need he's answered to them they've gotten to see Jesus live by example his life They've, they've seen the miracles over and over and over again, they, they've seen all of this and they're still missing Jesus. They're still not, not getting it, they, they still, they, they still fail to really understand who Jesus is and what He came to do and isn't that the danger for you and me? Isn't that the danger for you and me that we would, that we would, you know, go to Bible studies and go to church every single Sunday and we, we hear the preaching of the, you know, the gospel and, Maybe we, we serve in the ministry, and we, we attend Sunday services, and, and these are all really good things, but even good things can get in, in the way of the best thing, and so we can easily just kind of fall into this rut of serving God on the outside, but really our hearts are far from Him, and that's, I think, where the disciples are. I mean, they're, they're doing everything right. But in their hearts there is an absolute disconnect and uh and that's what we see so so then the question becomes well you know what's our hope when we don't understand what jesus is doing what's our hope when we misunderstand him well our hope is that he comes and he shows us his glory and his person let me show it to you in verse 48. Uh, mark tells us this and they saw that they were making headway painfully He saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea and he meant to pass by them now notice i want you to notice a couple of phrases there he meant to pass by them and uh, he came to them walking on the sea what is it that mark mean what does he mean when he he says that he meant to pass by them I, i think I think where we could really go with this is, you know, if we fail to get behind the miracle, if we if we fail to really ask the question, what what is Jesus' purpose uh, behind walking on the water? I think we're tempted to believe that Jesus was just showing off. You know, that uh, he was just kind of, you know, disciples are rowing, they're struggling, you know, they're they're frustrated, and Jesus comes walking on the water. Hey, fellas, look at me! Don't you wish you could do what I'm doing? You know, and and uh, you know, I think I think we're tempted to kind of think that uh is that what jesus is really doing here i don't think so i I think what jesus wants to do is reveal his person to them i I think he wants to reveal his divinity to them he he wants to show them he's not a prophet he's not a political revolutionary he's not a populist leader that's not what he's about um, he wants to show them the fullness of His glory, the fullness of His power. So, so what does Mark tell us? He, he, he tells us that Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Now, that's unmistakable language there. He, he came to them walking on the sea. And so in walking on the water, Jesus is walking in the place that only God can walk. And what we've seen in the gospel leading up to this point is Jesus forgives sins. Only God can forgive sins. What we see is that Jesus can command the demons. The demons do everything he commands them to do. And and not only that, but but Jesus has control over the elements. And so Jesus is revealing to to the disciples his glory and his person. And this is the very truth they were struggling to understand was the very, very issue where they were, they were really, really bothered and couldn't get it figured out. Do you remember, you remember a few weeks ago when we looked at, Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and the storm had cropped up on the Sea of Galilee and it was a violent storm and Jesus was sleeping on a cushion in the boat and they wake him and say, Master, don't you care that we're going to die? And uh, Jesus gets up and he tells, tells the wind and waves, to sit down and shut up. You guys remember that story. And, uh, and uh, they're so blown away at Jesus' power because immediately the wind and waves were calm. They're so blown away, they're more afraid after the storm than they were before and during the storm. And they ask the question, who is this man that even the wind and waves obey him? you know what Jesus is doing here? He's answering their question. Mark just slips it in. Jesus is answering the question. What He's saying is this, I am God. Now, that phrase that He meant to pass by them, that is the exact same language that we see in Exodus thirty-three, nineteen. 19. You, you remember that story? where Moses has found favor with God, and Moses is meeting with God, and Moses makes the request of God, God will you show me your glory? You guys remember that story? And uh, how did God answer him? Well let, let me show you, Exodus thirty-three nineteen 19 says this, and he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. That's the same phrase that Mark's using. So in the, in the Greek. Old Testament which is the Septuagint in that version that's the same version that we see Mark using here I will make my goodness pass before you and then notice notice what God also promises and will proclaim before you my name the Lord so he promises two things I'm going to let my goodness pass in front of you you're going to behold you're going to see you're going to observe you're going to experience my goodness and not only that but I'm going to proclaim my name to you." Now, what, what's the name of God? It's Yahweh, right? It's, it's, it's the Lord. And, and so, and so, now turning back to Mark chapter 6, they, they see Jesus walking on the water and they're absolutely terrified. They think He's a ghost and, and notice, notice verse 49, how Mark records this, "...for they all saw Him and they were terrified." So they're scared to death, but immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. It is I, do not be afraid. So what Jesus is doing is he's, he's, he's walking in God's stead and he's taking God's name when he says, it is I. It is ego me in Greek. It literally means I am who I am. It's the same name that God revealed to Moses in Exodus 33. You see, Jesus is revealing his divinity to the disciples. He is doing exactly what God did for Moses. And, um, and, and, and so that's, that's what we see that Jesus is revealing to them his glory. But it gets even more interesting from here because Jesus walking on the water, it not only reveals his divinity, but it reveals his proximity. Let me show you this in verse 50. This is, this is mind-boggling to me. Notice, notice again this description, for they all saw him and, and they were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I do not be afraid. And notice this phrase, verse 51, and he got into the boat with them. He got into the boat with them. Now, you know, they're they're absolutely terrified. They're they're fearful they're going to die. These are rough fishermen. They've been on this lake. They, They understand the conditions, and yet even they are scared. And they think they've seen a ghost. And what does Jesus do? He reveals who he is to them, and he gets into the boat with them. So in the middle of their terror, In the middle of their fear, He comes close to them. He gets near them. He calms them. And notice, notice what happens. Mark tells us, the wind ceased. The wind ceased. The God who walks on the water is the God who gets in the boat with us. That's what we learn, that's what we see, and it tells us that Mark, Mark tells us the disciples were utterly astounded. I mean, think about this, church. Do you know, do you know that Christianity is the only religion that teaches that the the God of the universe, the sovereign of the universe is the same God who loves you so much who'll get in the boat with you in the midst of the storm? Only Christianity teaches that and certainly in Jesus' day and the surrounding nations around Israel they were uh, polytheistic um, kind of religions, paganistic kind of religions, they believed in the power the power of the gods but there was no concept that the gods in the midst of their power cared about you and would get in the boat with you and so only Christianity teaches that, no other, no other religion even comes close even today. I mean, the religion today in America is secular, you know, secular humanism and it teaches you're God. And if you find yourself in a storm, you need to figure it out. You're enough, you're strong enough, you can do it by yourself. And so no other religion teaches that the sovereign of the universe is the sovereign and he's intimately close with us at the same time. Now, When you think about the implications, what are the implications of that? Well, I mean, I just think very simply, you and I are going to face situational storms where everything seems to go wrong. We're going to face relational storms where, you know, relationships get strained over politics, wrong choices or misunderstandings. We're going to face those. Those are a a reality today. We're going to face emotional storms where we wear a smile on our face outside, but we're struggling with bitterness, anger, or hurt, or discouragement, or despair, or guilt, or shame on the inside. And so Jesus walking on the water really speaks to us in a beautiful way because it shows us that He is with us in the midst of all of those storms, and uh, that He's near us, that He's for us, that He's with us. And so to make it through the storm, you need to remember He is, he is with you in the storm. In, in other words, another way of saying it would be, don't doubt Jesus' power in the storm, but don't doubt Jesus' presence with you in the storm as well, because He is with you. And. Uh, And so we see Jesus' proximity, and then last, we see Jesus' mercy. And so let me show you this in verses 51 and 52. Mark records this, he says, and he got into the boat with them, and immediately the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they didn't understand about the loaves, now catch this, but their hearts were hardened. Now." You know, if you're making this up, if this didn't happen, and somebody's just concocting this story, you're not gonna write it this way. You're gonna write it, oh, and they all believed in an instant, and they all committed their lives to Christ right then and there, right? Or you're gonna write, and they lived happily ever after right there, right? But what it tells us is it ends kind of on a down note. Jesus. Jesus has just fed the thousands. Jesus has just walked on the water. He's just revealed his glory. He's just revealed his love to them by getting in the boat with them and calming the storm, and it ends with, and their hearts were hardened. Now this is, this is really, this is really a fa- fascinating. Notice how Mark describes the condition of their heart. He describes it in three different ways. They were utterly astounded, they didn't understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. That's where they're at. At the end of all of this, that is where they're at. Now, what does it mean that their hearts were hardened? It just means that they're choosing unbelief. It means that they're choosing to doubt Jesus and his word and his person, that they don't believe in him. Like at this point, the disciples are really no no different than Jesus' enemies. Their hearts were hardened towards the King of Kings and Lord of Lords after such an amazing miracle. They refuse to put their trust in Jesus' word and in Jesus' deed. And I think this speaks to something huge, and and it's this, church, that faith doesn't happen automatically. Faith, Faith doesn't occur inevitably, that faith requires a personal choice. In a personal decision. That's what it requires. It, it doesn't just poof and it happens and you have saving faith. It, it's, a, it's a personal choice and a personal decision, you know, that you have to make. And it could be that you've grown up in a Christian family. It could be that you grew up with great Christian parents, you grew up going to church, you were in church every single Sunday. Church, hear me out on this, okay? You're not saved by your heritage. You're not saved by your parents' faith. You're not saved by your parents' righteousness. You're saved by by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what saves you. And you have to come to that decision. You have to come to that place where you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And that's that's exactly where the disciples have not, you know, have not... um, made that decision and and made, you know, that commitment. Now, I think this is an incredible picture of God's mercy uh, to them because even in the midst of their hardened heart, I mean, Jesus knows where their hearts are, and even in the midst of that, He's showing His love to them. He is revealing Himself to them. He is showing His glory to them. And I, I have to take us back to That story in Exodus 33 with Moses meeting one-on-one with God, there's amazing similarities between that story and this story, uh, but there are also some significant differences. You know, one similarity is what you have is you have God revealing His glory to Moses, and you have Jesus revealing His glory to the disciples. But the biggest difference is this. When God did that for Moses, Moses was walking pretty strong. I mean, Moses was having his quiet time, you know. Moses was walking in obedience. Moses was doing all the right things and God blessed him and revealed, uh, revealed himself to him in, a, in an amazing way. But, but in this situation, this is interesting because the disciples aren't doing very well. You guys tracking with me? Their hearts are hardened toward him. And yet Jesus is still really pouring out his love and his grace, his mercy to them. And I think for a lot of us, we, we think we have to have our lives all together before God's going to speak to us. We, we think we have to have our lives all together before God's going to bless us and God's going to work in our life and move in our life. You know, like if I, man, if I've had my quiet time every day for a week, you know, and if I haven't lusted, you know, and, and, uh, and I've been telling everybody about Jesus, then I'm in a position now where God can bless me. And who is our trust really in at that point? It's in us. And I think what we see here is a beautiful picture of Jesus' mercy and grace towards the disciples. He is revealing himself, working with them, and it shows what sin does to us. It hardens our heart, and it just takes a while for the Spirit of God to break down that hardness and lead us closer to him. And so I just love this picture of Jesus because... It shows us that, you know, Jesus will cross any barrier to bless us, to reveal Himself to us. He'll, he'll, cross any barrier to, you know, to pour His mercy and grace into our life when we're walking in the light and when we're in darkness. And What it means practically is this. He loves you when you're doing all the right things and He loves you even when you've messed up. Does that make sense, church? He loves you regardless. And I bring it back to that His love for you is not based on how well you're doing today and uh, all the right decisions that you've made. His love doesn't fluctuate for you. You know, when you've had a bad day, well, he's, you know, he's really disappointed, he's mad, he's ticked off, you know, he's gonna send a lightning bolt your way or something, you know, which we, we typically kind of go down those roads. What we see here is in the middle of their hardness jesus pours out his mercy and his grace and that is really good news for you and for me and i love what it says in romans that there is nothing that can separate you from god's love there's nothing that can separate you from from his love so so god's grace is available when we're doing great and when we're struggling when we're walking in the light and when we have kind of experienced some darkness. That is some really good news. Let me take it one step further and I'll close with this. You know, the the work that Jesus began in you, the work that He started way back when, whenever you heard the Gospel and you, you know, you put your faith in Him, that work that He started, church, He's gonna finish it. He's gonna finish it. And there's a lot of ups and downs in between, but He's gonna finish it. He's gonna bring, bring you home. And so, I just wanna challenge you. You may have had the worst week. You, have made, you, you might have had you know, situations where you have made the worst decisions. I just wanna tell you today, the gospel is for you. That God loves you. That God, you know, he gave what was most precious to him for you. And his love is not based on your performance. His love is based on the performance of his son for you. So you're like, well, Scott, what do I do? What do I do in this situation? Well, you do what you did in the beginning, right? You repent and believe the good news. That's what softens our hearts, is you come back into a right mind and you turn away from hardness and you turn to faith and you cry out to God and you say, God, help my unbelief. Help me in the midst of our, my failures, my struggle and my darkness in church. God will meet you there that 's the gospel and that 's what we have today let's let's let 's pray together god we, uh, we come before you today, just humbled by your grace, humbled by your mercy, humbled by your closeness to us in the midst of the storm. And I know that there are many today that are facing all kinds of storms and challenges and struggles. Thank You that Your love is steady and real. And I pray, God, that, that You would just manifest your, your love to us today, that You would reveal that love to us through Your Word through the cross, and I pray, God, that you would grant the gift of repentance, God, that you would, you would grant the gift of faith today. So I just want to give you a, just a moment or two just, just to pray, to talk to God. He, he is here with us. And maybe, maybe there's something you need to confess. Maybe there's something you need to repent of. Maybe, maybe you've had a really hard week and you've not talked to God all week. And so I wanna give you a moment to just simply respond, to simply prepare your heart for the grace that God wants to give to you. Maybe you need to ask for his help. Maybe you need to re-surrender something. Whatever it is, take a moment and pray just silently to yourself. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thank you for your grace and your mercy that washes us, makes us whiter than snow. May your presence be real to us today. Soften our hearts, open our eyes, unclog our ears, that we would hear your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.